Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, the land where we have both electricity and liberty, which some people, progressives mostly, said was not the case in Somalia, but they're full of it. Anyway, welcome back, guys. This is episode 15 of Electric Liberty Land. I am Brian McWilliams. And of course, this being episode 15, that means you can find all of the show notes for today's program over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL15. Now, before we get into some of the more serious topics today, as this show does say, culture, liberty, and comedy, I do want to touch on some of the comedy and culture aspects of what's going on. And I have a fantastic opportunity to do that today. Because on April 1st, the first episode of season three of a TV show, which I absolutely adore, named Rick and Morty, aired. Now, it was questionable. People didn't know if it was really going to air that day, of course, because it was April 1st. But what they did was they swapped it out for some other shows. Now, of course, the other episodes of the show are not going to be on until midsummer sometime. But I want to talk about this first episode because there are so many different libertarian themes that run through the show as a whole and in this specific episode that you guys just got to watch and I got to talk about it. Then, as the show goes on, we'll get into a little bit of stuff about North Korea and Syria because how could we not? <laughs> That's pretty much what there is to talk about. I'll also hit on a, just a real quick commentary about the United Ordeal and the doctor who got pulled off the plane there and what they've kind of done with him running his name through the mud, etc. Now then, on to our discussion about Rick and Morty. So Rick and Morty, if you're not familiar with the program, airs on Cartoon Network as part of their Adult Swim program, which I've been watching for quite some time. I think it starts around 9 or 10 at night, typically. And the shows go into quite the adult region, as the name would indicate. Um, if you watch for a while, you remember Dr. Katz was on, Home Movies is on, uh, a lot of different shows that push the envelope. Aqua Teen Hunger Force, C-Lab 2021, all these shows that really push the way forward for, a, uh, for more adult cartoon shows that were even farther past the Simpsons. I guess, yeah, you know, for a little while, Family Guy was on there. So really great stuff. Now, Rick and Morty, it basically follows a story of a man who is the smartest man in the known universe. And there's also a multiverse concept going on. So there's more than one Rick that goes around. And Rick is a grandfather, a patriarch of this family, a dysfunctional group where he had left early on and come back, and now he lives with a family and the house and experiments in the garage as a super scientist. And a man who has a, a moral ambiguity, let's call it. He more or less is out for number one, but he does care about his family, uh, and he does care about his grandson who goes on his adventures, and that is Morty, who is uh, essentially a dullard. Now, Rick, as I mentioned, is the smartest man in the universe in this show. And he's constantly inventing illegal yet highly valuable products that the government is always trying to get from him to either take it by force or sneakily get it in one way or the other. And he goes around and he deals these objects to anybody ranging from assassins to people who want to do drugs. <laughs> he's created like, you know, in a couple episodes, he creates some very potent drugs made up from these various substances. So drug use is encouraged. That's, uh, you know, there's episodes where he's snorting things. So, you know, again, there's a libertarian theme right off there. Let ye be in charge of your own body and what you do with your own body. 
But because the government's always after him, which is the uh, Galactic Federation run by these bug monsters, he's always on the run. So he's hiding out with his family all the time, uh, or he's running off to different planets or running off with his portal gun to different universes in order to escape the Galactic Federation and stay one step ahead of them. Now, Rick does have to steal a lot. He uh, he does have to murder sometimes. Typically, that is in self-defense. Uh, very survival of the fittest kind of thing. And, you know, I will say that does violate the non-aggression principle. So I acknowledge that, some of the violence and some of the thievery. But overall, the show is super libertarian, which I'm surprised about because the creator, Dan Harmon, who also created Community, which you could argue in its own, was in a way uh, taking a knock at Community College and how worthless it is. But Dan Harmon's super liberal. You know, I was looking at his Twitter feed and some of the, the things he's saying. Super liberal guy. So it's very uh, interesting to me that he creates, along with Justin Roiland, his uh, co-creator on the show, such a super libertarian show. And Roiland, I was trying to look just briefly to see if I could find anything really libertarian on his you know, social profiles or anything he wrote. And as of yet, I have not. So let me go into a little deeper into some of the libertarian things going on here. Uh, it's very, very wrong. Very, very un-PC. No word is forbidden. Rick is regularly calling people retards, um, you know, assholes, cursing, sexual perversions are not taboo in any way, shape, or form in this show. I mean, hell, there's an episode where he's in this dream state and his own daughter's, there's a granddaughter is dressed up as a dominatrix. Not that he has sex with his own granddaughter, mind you. But, you know, that there's a scene in one episode where he's, because he's got father issues, he wants a crowd full of people dressed up as his father as he skydives, dressed as uh, as Uncle Sam <laughs> into a sea of redheaded women <laughs> with them all chanting his name. So it goes out of its way to challenge social conventions, and it goes out of its way to thumb its nose at people that adopt PC culture. I mean, the show, it's its just absolutely hilarious, and it's very interesting in the way it's presented because it's high-level conceptually and scientifically. So if you're a mind, if you're familiar with uh, physics, uh, string theory, quantum theory, any of these high-level scientific concepts, you're going to see them a lot in the show. You know, there's time travel, <laughs> there's parallel universes, there's everything. And at the same time, the guy is constantly burping. There's a lot of crap and fart humor throughout it. I mean, this last episode that I that I watched, episode uh, number one of season three, I mean, there's a lot of fart jokes in it. There's a lot of butts. There's a watch that turns into a butt and it farts in the guy's face. And I'm not going to lie. It's very funny. It's very funny stuff. But the show is overarchingly libertarian. If there was a philosophy that the main character, Rick Sanchez, follows, it would without a doubt be libertarianism. I, I didn't even mention this. He's also drinking and driving all the time. <laughs> I mean, constantly. Not to say that that's a good thing people should do, but if you don't get in trouble for it, if you're not doing any damage for it, what's the problem? So Rick is constantly fighting against this Galactic Federation. Not only the Galactic Federation, but he's also fighting at the same time a civil war against himself. And by what I what I mean by that is that because there are parallel dimensions here, and Rick Sanchez is the smartest man in every universe, every parallel universe, they all have coordinated together to make their own government called the Citadel of Ricks. So essentially, uh, because they're all running from the government, they had to create their own government to fight against this other government, which Rick, the main Rick, the quote-unquote Ricksiest of Ricks, 
points out how ridiculous that is and how they're all jackasses for doing such a thing. Because what you find in the show, and it's entertaining as it goes along, is that the Citadel of Ricks, they all operate, even though they're all the smartest person in the world, they're all the most progressive, they all know the evils of government specifically, they still band together and they form this bureaucratic, uh, ridiculous, jealous, corrupt government that then goes out of their way to try to kill the original Rick, or I'd say the Ricksiest Rick. Which makes it a very, very salient point that libertarians understand about government. And that point is that people don't, people have to understand that no matter how great the people are you put in government, the power will corrupt them. Absolutely will corrupt them. It's like they did that study where they had people, you know, these good people and they put them in front of other people and they had them out there, the, the wards of the prisoners and every single one of them turned evil. They started abusing their power. They started doing horrible things to these people, just cruel and unusual things when they had this complete power over other individuals. And that's what government is. And in this show, it's saying, look, it doesn't matter who you do, even if it's all a Nobel Prize. This guy's got a government of his own people. They're all the smartest people in the own universe. And they're still total garbage when they get put into a government-style system. They're still murderers. They're still thieves. They're still trying to go out of the way to, to get people and oppress the individual as a government. So again, that is an overarching theme throughout the show as a whole. It's all about individualism, personal expression, freedom to do what you want, free markets, etc. And I want to talk a little bit about this specific episode. So as I mentioned, I want to talk this this one episode was the first episode of season three. I want to play a, cli- a quick clip from it. And I apologize, the audio quality is not as good as usual because I was not able to rip a clean clip from the uh, the program. It's just too long and I couldn't find anything to really do it for the show. So they're a little bit janky, but but bear with me here. And just to set this clip up, the clip itself is in regards to the Galactic Federation captured Rick and it took over Earth. So now the bugs are in charge and they've got robots and everybody's got a job with the government, including Jerry, who is Rick's idiot uh, you know, son-in-law who can't seem to find a job, but now is incredibly successful with this new government career. I tell you, the Galactic Federation taking over Earth, best thing that's ever happened to this family. I just got my sixth promotion this week, and I still don't know what I do. Who cares how high they promote you? Everyone just gets paid in pills. Well, when you're not sure what you do for a living, you can make your own rules. Summer, show your father some respect. He's pulling down a six-chewable figure income. So you gotta love that. (laughs) <laughs> They're pointing out, even though the government's in charge, even though he's got a job, who knows what the guy does? But yet he's gotten three promotions in a week. In typical government fashion. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. We just want to make sure you have a job. We're going to promote you because it's money coming from uh, from the taxpayers. And these guys also, there's another additional point here because they're all paid in pills. So they're eating literally just plates full of pills which is another social commentary on the fact that government simply goes out of its way to placate the populace so they don't ask questions. So it's just be quiet. Here's your pills. Take what you're given. Swallow it down. And there's a scene where Morty doesn't want to eat his pills and the robot just shoves them down his mouth and takes care of everything as they go along. So again, really pertinent libertarian themes about cautionary tale of government, especially where it comes to government overreach and trusting the government to take care of all of your earthly needs as it goes along. So without going into too many spoilers here, 
But again, I want to encourage you, if you've not seen the show, go to our Facebook page, or actually go to our forum page on Facebook. You can join that at Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type it into the search bar on Facebook. It'll pop right up. And I posted the entire episode. Uh, it was on YouTube. And it's all there. You just click it. You can watch it. So stop the podcast. Come on back. But without going to too many spoilers, Rick does manage to escape. And he fights back against the Galactic Federation and the Ricks at the same time. In a, in a very clever, in a clever, funny way, he manages to F them both over. But more so than the Citadel of Ricks, who now is contending and fighting for their lives against the Federation bugs and all of their enforcers. Rick finds a very clever and a very fantastic way for us libertarians, way to take the government down. And it's incredibly simple. And you'll see exactly what I mean. Freeze! Employee of the month, ladies and gentlemen. So what are you doing with Level 9 Access anyways? Destroying the uh, galactic government. Awesome! Are you going to set all their nukes to target each other? Or, or reprogram their military portals to disintegrate their entire space fleet? Good pitches, kids. I'm almost proud. But watch closely as Grandpa topples an empire by changing a one to a zero. President, the Blenflark's value just dropped to nothing. What do you mean? I mean, our single centralized galactic currency just went from being worth one of itself to zero of itself. Oh, Maybe the God, no. Oh, no, people. Deploy the galactic militia and declare martial law. Yes, sir. Uh, what should I pay them with? Their payment is the honor they'll feel to serve their... Wait, who's paying me to yell at this guy? I can answer that. For money. Uh, I never thought I'd let you see this. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. There's a solution here you're not seeing. That last sound was the sound of the president shooting himself in the head and his gooey bug brains hitting the desktop, if you're wondering. <laughs> but I mean, look, how how appropriate is that? Let me tell let me let me just tell you exactly how great that is. So number one, it's taking a shot at the manipulation of money, which the Fed does every damn day. Right? Okay, if you can manipulate the money, you can never have money that you can trust in any way, shape, or form. Look at Venezuela, devaluing its dollars to the point where they're basically worthless. That happened overnight to people with no warning, just like this. Zero warning. Now you have no money. Anarchy in the streets. So it's making that point. It's also making a very salient point. Again, for sound money, having another option. If there's no currency left because it's all controlled electronically, what's your option when it all goes tits up? You need to have sound currency as a backup. You need to have some form of something that you can trade instead. And what happens in this episode is what they end up trading uh, becomes pants. They all start killing each other for pants as soon as the currency goes uh, goes tits up. So that's that was their solution, even though everybody's dying because of it. And thirdly, it makes a great argument, just as I said, against the complete datification of currency. Because that's what could happen very easily, especially in this era of cyber warfare. If all of our currency is decided online, what's going to happen if somebody hacks in and does this exact same thing? Just alters the marketplace or alters the decimal points in your bank account. You're completely screwed. So again, great point, Rick and Morty. Great libertarian talking point there on how government should not have control over the monetary system and how we need sound money. To make sure that our entire currency just can't disappear overnight. So again, bravo to Rick and Morty, guys. You got to check the show out. I guarantee you're going to love it. 
Uh, now that Ron Swanson has been retired, I would say Rick Sanchez is the most libertarian character you're going to find on a television program. And I would venture to say this show's funnier. Parks and Recreation was a great show, but for me, this show does it better. I think it's a little bit smarter. I enjoy the science aspect of things. So definitely check it out, guys. Again, Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network. No, I'm not getting paid for that, but maybe I'll get paid for this. Hey, guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com and you can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. All right, we're back in. Now, before I turn to foreign policy, there is one story I want to hit on really quick. And that is that CU New York, so the uh, Community College of New York and a state college in New York, two years and four years schools, uh, they are going to be providing free tuition to residents of New York State. Now, this isn't a concept that's been brand new, but it's the first time New York's doing it. And I want to talk a little bit about it because it's got a special provision in there that's exceptionally stupid. Now, this, of course, is going to be coming out of taxpayer budgets. Uh, the basic provisions of this new, I don't even know, initiative they're trying to push through for New York will basically give anybody that's as a household making under 100000 give their kids free tuition to these schools. C-U-N-U or N-Y and S-U-N-Y. Now, they're going to raise that eventually to 125 in a couple of years, but there's so many flaws of the general concept that I just want to go into them really quickly. Number one, it only applies if you're going to school full-time. And if you don't go to school full-time, you don't actually get the benefits of this. That's number one. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Number two, as these benefits only actually apply after you've already applied for every other grant that's, that's out there from New York State. So it's not like this is replacing a lot of other grants on a federal or state level. This is actually going to be on top of that. So it's just more money for taxpayers, not a, okay, we're going to get rid of some of this. So at least there's not that much, uh, you know, some of that money might overlap to keep it a little bit more manageable. No, none of that. Let's keep that in mind as well. Now, going back to this first point, you have to maintain a full-time student position in order to get paid. Now, how many people do you know going to community college actually say, okay, I'm going to go full-time and I can afford to go to school full-time? Because even if you're paying for their scholarship, what are they going to do for money? <laughs> what are they going to do for food? How are they going to buy books? How are they going to pay for housing? You know, granted, a lot of them are there, so they probably live in the region, but some of them, I'm sure, don't live close enough. 
So you've got that basic issue of, okay, how are you going to make these things work if you have to either choose to exist or go to school? Even if you're getting free money, you're probably still going to choose to exist. Second point I want to make about that is that so many college kids are college dropouts anyway. What do you think is going to happen when you can go to school for free? Because they look at the current rates and they go, oh, we've got to get more people going to college, which is dumb on its face, by the way, because there's already too many people coming out of college. It's the new high school degree. It doesn't mean anything anymore. A lot of people I know here in L.A. actually did not go to college, and they're making way more money than I did because they skipped the four years that I spent partying and essentially learning nothing. If we're being perfectly honest, I I knew how to write when I went in. Smart guy. I knew how to write when I came out. Arguably, I learned nothing except how to really beat the crap out of my liver. And I learned that well. But a lot of these guys, they just skipped, skipped uh, college completely, went into tech sectors, went into something where they, they were able to be self-taught, and they're excelling, making way more money than I am. So you look at these people that are, that are going to get free tuition. What are the odds that they're going to be going to college and sticking it out when they don't have the, the incentive of, I already invested all this money into it? I mean, as soon as something gets hard, they're going to drop it. As soon as they need to work to make money, as soon as funds get short, they're going to drop it. And then what happens? Do they have to pay that money back? Or is that money just lost to the taxpayer? That's, I mean, that's TBD because you know that they're not going to shine favorably on this program if it's going to go attacking people if they don't finish college and say, oh, now you owe us uh, $90,000. You got to go deeper, deeper, deeper into that. So that's another problem with this program. But the real biggest issue I find with this program is that they made sure. So again, you can go to school for two years or four years under this uh, this new grant or this new state program. But the thing is, you have to stay in the state for the amount of years that you went to college in the state. So if you have a two-year degree, you have to stay and work in the state. Now, of course, with a with a community college degree, who's who's to know if you're even going to get a decent job staying in the state? Either way, and if it's a four year degree, again, you know, you may or may not get a decent job. Kids coming out of Harvard sometimes can't get jobs right now, again, because everybody's graduating with a damn college degree. But should the state be allowed to hold somebody hostage if they go to college for four years? Or I mean, think about that. As soon as I graduated college, I was out. I moved to L.A. Said, so get me the hell out of here. You know, I got to go try to make money. I what I what I majored in, I could not do in Philadelphia to the extent that I wanted to do. You know, I moved out here to try to get into writing for the entertainment business. I can't do that in Philadelphia where I grew up. Now in New York, you could do that a little bit more clearly, but there are many careers where I'm sure you can't. There's many careers that involve moving. Maybe you just don't have a lot of industry where you're at. But now they're saying, oh well, it doesn't matter because you have a four-year prison term that you have to serve in the state of New York City with its high taxes. They're not in the state of New York City, in the state of New York, I should say. And that just is ridiculous. I mean, I guess they got to make that money back somehow. So they're saying, well, now you have to stay here so that we can tax you to make some of this money back. And presumably you'll get, you'll make more money because you have a college degree now. But we've all seen how that does not work out when you're living on your parents' couch. So anyway, this, I guarantee this program is going to go down as a failure. Uh, people are not going to want to stay in the state. They're not going to want to go. They're not going to finish college. I can tell you that much. Some people will, but I can guarantee you that college dropout rates are going to skyrocket because if you give somebody something for free, they don't value it. And that's just a simple fact. 
<laughs> it's a tale as old as time. Uh, I did not see Beauty and the Beast, by the way, the new live action film. My wife did highly recommends it. <laughs> Just FYI. All right. So now that that's out of the way, let's get into a little foreign policy. I guess we'll start with Syria, since Syria was the most recent thing. And then we'll talk a little bit about how Trump is sending an armada over to the Korean Peninsula. So first things first, as you well know by now, Trump did launch a missile attack. I think it was 59 some missiles that hit a Syrian air base. That was in response to an alleged attack by Assad on his own people using sarin gas. Now, if you're a student of history, you'll remember that there was a little bit of gaseous uh, talk around the WMDs and Iraq, and that was used as a reason to oust Saddam Hussein. So there's a lot of talk as to whether or not this was something that the CIA was complicit in, whether they knew there was gas there and that, in fact, the rebels might have been the ones to release it rather than Assad on his own people. As Rand Paul pointed out, and kudos to Rand for pointing this out and not being afraid to say it. And Putin has also pointed this out and wasn't afraid to say it. It doesn't make much sense for Assad to gas his own people at this juncture in time. If he was going to do something like this, you'd think he would have done it before everything had kind of smoothed out, before Russia and the U.S. had had spoken. And I also want to point out that the U.S. they had launched this, this missile attack, but they also warned Russia ahead of time. So that puts a lot of it either. OK, so there's two ways to look at this. This is what I think is funny. Number one. So the Trump attacks, let's look at this. Why would he why would he launch this attack? Even if Trump himself didn't necessarily believe that the sarin attacks were done by by uh, Assad, I personally think they were probably undertaken by the rebels. But OK, so he launches this attack. That says to the to the media, that says, look, get off my back about this whole collusion with Russia thing. Because Russia is helping Assad, and I just went and bombed an airfield. So look, obviously I'm not working with Russia. So knock off that narrative. So let's say he accomplished that. And I'm going to counterpoint that in just a minute. But let's say he accomplished that. At the same time, it looks like he's a man of action. He's not afraid to strike. Because Trump... And I hated that he did this attack, by the way, but because but, but Trump was an avid defender of uh, keeping ourselves out of Syria. He was pissed off when Obama bombed there. He said you should keep out of there. And he's saying now that even though he launched a missile strike, that we are not going to get involved in Syria. And McMaster echoed that. General McMaster also said we are not going to enforce regime change in Syria. Trump has said that Russia and Iran should pressure to make that happen themselves, but we as a nation are not going to be putting boots on the ground. So that's reassuring. I'm still furious that Trump launched his attack, but that part's reassuring. All right, so getting back to this missile attack and why he did it. So again, to kill the narrative that he is a tool of Russia, to show that he is a man who is not hesitant to use action. And of course, that's also a message to North Korea saying, do something I don't like, there's going to be very swift repercussions for that. And number three, it has won him over some allies like John McCain and Lindsey Graham, who applauded this ridiculous action. And speaking of John McCain, I do want to point out this quick quote, because <laughs> Rand Paul had uh, gotten into it with McCain, as they seem to be doing more and more often, because McCain had criticized Rand Paul. And Rand Paul said that the stupidity of the McCain's 
of the world hinders a solution in Syria. <laughs> to which point I say, Paulus! And I hope that Rand and John McCain never stop fighting, because McCain always ends up on the bad end of this, and I love every second of it. Okay, so McCain, Graham, they cheer this move. But in the meantime, you look at what actually occurred. We spent some God knows amount of money. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think they're like 1.5 million per rocket. So we're spending, you know, $200 million on this attack or not, you know, 120 million or something like that on this attack. And Syria right now is flying out of that, that, uh, airspace. They're flying right out of that base because the missiles didn't actually hit the runways or any aircraft. <laughs> All they did was hit, I guess, buildings around it and, they're claiming they had some, you know, killed some civilians as well, which is tragic if true, but I don't know if to believe that or not. Assad, of course, by the way, denies that he used chemical weapons, just FYI, as you would presume. But they launched this attack. It didn't hit anything of relevance. Why? Because Trump told the Russians that they were going to launch this attack. So the Russians got all their stuff out of there so that they didn't get blown up. I think they lost maybe two, two soldiers were injured or something like that in the attack. So that's when you start to question the narrative. Like, if you're the media, really, this whole time you've been saying Trump's been colluding with Russia, but isn't it more than ever look like he's colluding with Russia now? Because he told them that he was going to launch this missile attack and said, hey, get your planes out of there. Now, granted, I actually think that's a smart move. Collusion or not in the past. I think it's a smart move. Because what could potentially cause World War III by launching a missile attack against another superpower that that you know has been working better with the United States as of late, trying to cooperate more and blowing up a lot of their planes and their troops is pretty counterproductive. So to go and say, hey, get your stuff out of there, we're going to do this attack, that's actually a show of goodwill on the U.S.'s part. And you see Russia's response. Putin is asking whether or not this was a false flag attack, and that's his exact phrasing saying that this sarin attack is a false flag and insinuating a bit that it's the U.S.'s idea and also saying that there were going to be more attacks coming up soon in regions that are around Syria to, make, to again, paint this more like there's a big issue going on and, to, and that Assad keeps gassing his own people. But in the meantime, we're not at war with Russia. That's good. Trump was able to establish himself as a fast acting tenactin when it comes to launching missile attacks, and yet no real damage was done. So did Trump actually believe that Assad sarin gassed his own people? It didn't really seem like it did from his actions that accomplished essentially nothing except cause us cost us a lot of money. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of questions around this. There's a lot, a lot of questions around this whole action, what's going on, and the evolving way that diplomacy is playing out. Because on one hand, you've got missile diplomacy that Trump is using in Syria, but clearly this is also, as I said, to send a message to North Korea. But instead of missile diplomacy, he's playing two different sides. So let's let's segue into North Korea now and what's going on there. And I apologize, it's a little bit rambling, uh, but I'm trying to put all, I'm literally in real time putting all the pieces together in my head because all of this news just came out today, uh, today and yesterday, and things are moving so quickly and more, more information is coming out so fast that it's hard to look at the big spectrum and say, okay, I got it. So hopefully you guys can, can stay with me here. So North Korea, as we know, they've been doing missile launches. 
Now, remember, Trump just met with the Chinese president uh, down in Mar-a-Lago. And apparently, uh, you know, that that actually had been a pretty good meeting. China issued a statement after the fact saying that it seemed like they'd be able to work together, that they, they'd be able to move forward with the U.S. And also, China has now been accepting U.S. coal shipments. And if we all recall, Trump, one of his big goals was to improve the state of the U.S. coal industry. As of now, China is taking U.S. coal. It's the first time they've done it since 2014. And they've also turned away several North Korean freighters full of coal. Now, that's really interesting. And it's an interesting about face where China was cozying up to North Korea and keeping such close relations. But it gets even more interesting. Now, Trump is sending a quote-unquote armada. This is from a report that he's going to be speaking with. Well, when this airs, this will have already aired. But it's with CNN and Maria Bartramono. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Bartramiolo. <laughs> it's getting worse with every try. Anyway, the girl on CNN with the brown hair. How about that? The Italian broad. Uh, but he was telling her that they're sending cruisers and submarines. I mean, they're sending a big amount of ships over there to to intimidate Kim Jong-un. And I don't know, hopefully not try to encourage him to take any action. But at the same time that this is happening, he just met with China's president. They just had a agreement on a 100-day improvement in trade deals to try to even out the trade deficit between the two countries, which again, you know, kudos to Trump on that, although I want to know exactly what he promised. And then yesterday, in the most telling, uh, again, about face I've ever seen from China, they published an article in the Global Times, which is a military-focused tabloid owned and operated by the Communist Party's People Daily newspaper. And it established a quote-unquote bottom line in an editorial that was titled, The United States Must Not Choose a Wrong Direction to Break the DPRK Nuclear Deadlock on Wednesday. And while that oddly worded editorial uh, headline sounds like it's actually going at the United States, it's not. Nothing in the article is about that. The article itself is telling North Korea that it better watch itself because that China would attack North Korea's facilities that produced nuclear bombs and effectively you know, starting a war with North Korea if North Korea crosses China's quote-unquote bottom line. And what they mean by that is that if North Korea has an issue where they start to fight with uh, the United States or they start to bleed across into China to escape from the United States or if any of the nuclear materials, and that's key here, if any of the nuclear materials in facilities in North Korea start to bleed into Northeast China, which would contaminate that region, cost them so much as far as infrastructure, as far as pulling people out, as far as uh, pollution, as far as manufacturing ability in that region and natural resources, then China is basically saying, we're going to bring the hammer down on you and we're going to work with the U.S. to do it. And that is just fascinating. I mean, absolutely fascinating. This is coming from a essentially a news outlet from the Chinese government. This is, let me read this exact quote. 
China has a bottom line that it will protect at all costs. That is the security and stability of Northeast China, if the bottom line is touched. China will employ all means available, including the military means to strike back. By that time, it is not an issue of discussion whether China acquiesces in the U.S. blows, but the Chinese People's Liberation Army, PLA, will launch attacks to DPRK nuclear facilities on its own. That is amazing. Now, that article has since been pulled down, but it was a clear message that was sent from China to North Korea saying, you better back it up. And I wonder if this is something that specifically Trump spoke to China about, that this neighbor of theirs is going to hurt U.S.-China relations, which, look, we can't get into war with China, not only because of the fact that we'd both be sore for it as far as dropping bombs on each other, but also because from a trade perspective, it would ruin the economies. I mean, there is so much trade there that that's the real incentive. Real wars don't cause trade wars for the most part because nobody wants to give up the trade side. It's trade wars that start real wars. So you got to wonder if Trump is back there and, and this whole deal about, okay, well, we'll try to even out the trade deficit also has something to do with let's even out what's happening in North Korea. Because China, obviously, they don't want a united Korea necessarily because they lose a valuable buffer against the West. But at the same time, they also don't want a nutbag on their back step that's going to be blowing up nuclear weapons. I mean, hey, look, who's to say Kim Jong-un's not going to detonate a nuclear weapon just like uh, Assad donated his sarin gas, supposedly, you know? They don't want to have this crazy person back there that could damage all of the northeast of their country over a tip with the U.S., and they don't know if the guy's mad or sane. But they do know that the Kim family will do almost anything to hold on to what they've built there and keep that regime in place. And that means potentially using nuclear weapons. And then also, and this editorial went deep into explaining the advantages to the world if China did attack North Korea's facilities. You know, it said that China, they know the location of the facilities. So <laughs> having been a former ally, they can take them out very quickly. If they took them out, you know, just bam, 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 North Korea would probably permanently suspend all of their nuclear weapons activities right then. China also noted that the nuclear weapons is their trump card for its defiance of China and the United States. And once it's, you know, once they got that, if it's gone, it's gone. They'll be a lapdog. They'll be completely obedient. Now, I'm still not saying that the U.S. or China should go out of its way to engage North Korea. I still think that as a sovereign nation, they've got a right to have nuclear weapons. But there is a difference between having nuclear weapons and constantly posturing to use them. And when that kind of thing starts happening, you do have to worry about the ability to strike U.S. Uh, soil. There was just a map I was looking at that showed that potentially they could get a missile to the West Coast in, I think it said by 2026. So when that kind of thing starts happening, it does become an issue where you have to look at potentially using military force. Although at this point, I still don't think that that is necessary. I think there's a lot that you can do with negotiating where military force is just going to make the situation far worse before it gets far better and unnecessarily. But that being said, hey, man, I don't control China. And if China can do a quick and easy job of dismantling North Korea's nuclear weapons, it might not be the worst thing for us. All right, so that's the situation in far as foreign policy goes. Ah, oh, been a complicated and messy 
<laughs> state of affairs the last few days. I hope that made sense to everybody. Uh, I hope it makes sense to me when I listen back to it tomorrow. And to be perfectly honest, half the time I'm recording this show, 75%, 75% of the time I'm recording this show and talking to you guys and uh, screaming into the abyss, I'm always surprised when I listen the next day and it actually makes any sense. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks for keeping uh, keeping your attention on what I'm saying. All right, last thing. I want to hit this quick, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, a little shorter show, but that's all right. Um, so the United flight that kicked off this doctor, this just happened, and it was a big deal. It went viral absolutely immediately. But it was a – basically what happened here is that there was an overbooked United flight. They had four pilots or other staff. I'm not sure if they were pilots or they just general staff that they needed to fly that had to board another plane. So in that case, they could take care of other passengers, either that or they had to get home because they've got all these sorts of rules for aviation where you have to have a certain amount of rest time between. I know I myself have not been able to catch flights because they did not have enough staff and it was very, very aggravating. So while I applaud United on one hand trying to take care of their customers by getting the flight crew to this other city so they could get on a plane and fly somewhere else, what they did was absolutely unforgivable to this man. So what happened, this is at Chicago O'Hare, and there were four people they had to get get off the plane. They offered them $400. Nobody took it. Everybody wanted to stay on the plane. They offered $800. Nobody took it. So at that point, they decided, well, screw it. We're just going to pick four people at random and tell them, tough tots, get off the plane. Now, I don't know if the other three people acquiesced or if this doctor, who his name is Dr. Dow, D-A-O, but I, I don't know if they took it or not right away or if he was just the first one. And once he got dragged off and his face was bloodied, uh, if everybody else just said, OK, well, I, I guess we'll get off the plane. <laughs> but long story short, United called the cops because he refused to get off the plane. He said, I paid for this ticket. I should get to use this ticket. And he's absolutely right. He should get to use that ticket. So what happens? They called the cops. The cops come out there, the airport cops. They pull him off the plane. They smash his face into an armrest, making him bleed profusely. And they literally drag him off where his, his, like his belly is fully exposed. He's being dragged up the aisle and off the plane. Now, obviously, social media jumped on this immediately, and rightly so. Because, again, I do PR for a living. If you're united, there's absolutely no, no excuse for doing this. Number one. You you owe it to your customers. They paid for those tickets. You don't know what this man's situation is. He said, because he was a doctor, he said that he had to treat patients the next day, and that's why he could not get off the plane. But either way, everybody has a price point where they say, okay, you know what? No matter what I have to do tomorrow, this is worth it. And United's a big enough airline that they can afford to pay somebody quite a bit of money to get off that plane. $800 clearly wasn't enough. So add another 400 or add another 800 and keep adding until somebody gets off the damn plane because that's what you do. That's what you owe to your customers. I know you own this plane as a private company that granted gets a lot of federal money and has a lot of units, but I know you own this plane. That's your private property as a, as a private entity, but you, that doesn't give you a right to cost a man to beat him up, to drag him off for something that he paid for. 
And I look forward to the lawsuit that's coming after United. I mean, their stock also, we always talk about how you don't need regulations and all these laws on the books when it comes to people going out of their way to screw over one part of the population, to gay, you know, to bakers that won't bake gay cakes or to any sort of people who want to discriminate. Now, you could argue United discriminated against this man, not because they said, all right, we're going to go out of our way to discriminate against Vietnamese doctors, but they still discriminated against this man. They still accosted him. They still had the cops pull him off the plane and use force for a ticket he paid for. Now, the comeuppance for that is exactly what happens when what, what always happens. It goes on social media. Their stock dropped something like five, six dollars today. And for a company their size, that's billions of dollars. I mean, they took a hit. I took one right to the jaw. And that's what you need to see. That's why we don't need regulations. Not in this era. Because comeuppance is fast. And sometimes it's too fast because they, all the facts aren't out in the case. And that brings us to another interesting little development that happened in this story. Because as many media outlets were not shy to rush to publish, Dr. Dow has a criminal past. Here's what it says in the New York Post. Dr. David Dow, 69, who was captured in a now viral video being forcibly dragged off the Louisville-bound flight at Chicago O'Hare on Sunday, was working as a doctor specializing in pulmonary disease in Elizabethtown when he was convicted of trading prescription drugs for sexual favors. Dow was arrested in 2003 for drug-related offenses following an undercover investigation. A board probe into the criminal charges found that Dow became sexually interested in a male patient, Brian Case, whom he gave a physical examination to, including a genital examination, and who he eventually made his office manager. Case quit that job due to inappropriate remarks, and uh, Dow then pursued him and arranged to give him prescription drugs in exchange for sexual acts. In 2004, Dow was convicted on a slew of felony counts for obtaining drugs by fraud or deceit and was placed on a five years of supervised probation. Now, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that this information should be kept a secret because, look, the media's got a right to do what the media's got a right to do. Uh, if it's public knowledge, which it is because it was a criminal case, you can report that. But what I do hate is the media rushing out to completely give United, it's, it's like they're almost trying to excuse United's actions by saying, well, yes, this guy got beat up and dragged off a plane. And I'm going to, and I'm going to link to the video, by the way. It's pretty awful to watch. But, you know, yes, he got beat up and dragged off a plane by a company that he had legally bought a ticket from and had every right to be there, just as right as every other person. And he just happened to get randomly chosen to get out, kicked off the plane. Yes, he had that right. But at the same time, uh, we should not care so much because, you know, this guy had a, a criminal past and he gave somebody drugs for sex. Now, in my opinion, I don't think that's a problem. I think if you have some drugs and you want to give them to somebody for sex, I think you should be able to damn well do it. That's not any of your business, really. Now, you know, you can argue maybe getting them illegally. Fine. That's a problem, even though I think they should all be legal anyway. But regardless, he didn't rape anybody. He didn't force himself on anybody. This man, this David Case, clearly did it voluntarily. He made an agreement. He made a private contract to do sexual favors for drugs. Now, fine, you can judge that all you want, but you can't say that this man somehow deserved what happened to him because of it. And that's what the media now is going out of their way to do. That's the downside of the PR machine. 
The upside is that you do get some quick comeuppance sometimes with things like this, especially in the era of social media, especially when we've all got our cameras. The downside is that you've got filth media that go out of their way to try to paint this as something that it's not, which is a clear cut case of right and wrong. United is absolutely wrong here. The Louisville Police Department that helped them, that helped United kick this man off the plane is absolutely wrong here. Because he had every right to stay on that plane. And they should have had to compensate him or compensate somebody else on that plane to the point where they voluntarily got off. You should never have the right to use force on somebody like that. Not in that circumstance. If he was on that plane and he snuck on there, sure. Just like, you know, and I don't have a problem with him really calling the police in this instance. Because, look, if somebody's on your in your house, your private property, you call the cops, they come and they help you out. Fine. But when you invite someone into your house, when you make a deal with somebody, a legally binding contract which has been paid for to provide a service for that person in your house. Let's say I invite somebody to come over. I say, hey, for $20, man, you can come over and watch this episode uh, number one of Rick and Morty season three. It's a great libertarian show. You show up, you sit down, I take your $20, and I say, you know what, I had another guy, I, I, he's going to come over, so get the hell out of here. I'll give you your 20 bucks back, you don't want it. And I say, oh, how about 40 And you say, no, man, I paid for this, I want to watch the TV show. And then I call the cops to come and beat you up and kick you out of my house. No, that's not right. I don't have the right to do that. Neither does United. All right, guys, that is about going to do it here. I want to remind everybody to listen to our other shows on this podcast. That's Mark on Mondays with in-depth interviews on Liberty. As mentioned, Judd Weiss's interview about Gary Johnson was pretty fascinating, talking about the ins and outs of the McAfee campaign and all the dirty deals, dirty deeds from the Gary Johnson. So check that out. That was on this past Monday's show. Also, Felony Fridays with John Odermatt. That is always a good time looking at the issues with the criminal justice system. I also want to remind everybody here to please follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty and to even more please support the podcast. We keep pumping out exclusive content. We're doing another conspiracy show. We're doing some uh, some other LILDL shows. We're doing all sorts of fun stuff. For our listeners who do support the podcast, plus you get some free t-shirts, which are designed by the great Dan Smots. So guys, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support for that, please. And also do please give us a review on iTunes. If you're still listening to this podcast right now, (laughs) and hopefully you haven't already turned it off, please go give us a review on iTunes. Tell everybody how much you love it. Share the podcast. Keep on spreading the ideas of liberty. That'll about do it. So, guys, thank you from Lions of Liberty. Thank you from me, Brian McWilliams, at Electric Liberty Land, where I remind you to always stay plugged in to liberty. <laughs>